Amen. Thank you all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you. You may have your seats this morning. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you got a Bible, go and go to First Peter chapter five. I'm, I'm gonna say this uh, in a way, and it means more today than when I, when I than when I usually say it. Uh, it is a blessing to be here with y'all this morning. It it really is. I'm gonna try to say this without getting too emotional. Um, but Kelly just messed me up. Uh, special thanks, special thanks to to uh, to you all uh, as a congregation and being so gracious and uh, not only uh, not complaining about me taking a sabbatical, but being incredibly supportive and encouraging. Um, <laughs> And, and caring for me in that way and supporting me in that way. Special thanks to everyone who carried a little bit of extra responsibility while I was out. I know a lot of people carried more, more weight and were willing and were, and were joyfully willing to make that sacrifice and take on more responsibility uh, while I was out. Very grateful to you if you did that. Um, yo, this is, I didn't even realize this. This is the first time in a long time, months, maybe years, um, that I've got up to preach and didn't feel tired coming up here. Come on. It just feels, it's, it's different. I enjoyed our time in worship together in a unique um, and special way. I'm, I am healthier um, than I, I believe than I've been just mentally and spiritually in a very long time. My mind is clearer. I think my mind is clearer than it's been in 10 years. I really, I really believe that. We started our church just about nine and a half years uh, Ago. And so I'm just very, very grateful. My sabbatical was a time of great gratitude, grateful for you all. There's many things that the Lord uh, did, and, and even a lot of things that I had to work through that I didn't even know I, I had to work through. But just having the time to think and process things was just so beneficial and such a blessing uh, for me. So when I say it's good to be with you, I really genuinely mean that uh, in a way that's different even than I've meant it uh, previously. Uh, with that said, I'm ready to preach. So First uh, Peter chapter 5, let's go ahead and get it started at verse 8. We're continuing in this sermon series upon uh, this rock. I'm going to hit a little bit of what uh, Wayne got into last week when he talked about being uh, sober-minded and being watchful. Uh, so let's start with that. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. So just as a quick review for those of you who were here last week. That term to be sober-minded means to be calm. It means to be temperate. It means to be cautious. It refers to someone who isn't overly influenced by anything that might make them to be biased. Maybe that's strong emotions or feelings or whatever it is. Someone who isn't overly influenced by those things. And it also says to be watchful. That term means to be awake, to be alert, to not fall asleep, literally or figuratively. It's a call to not miss what's truly going on around you. So to be sober-minded and watchful is to intentionally observe what's going on in a way that's calm, in a way that's collected. In our world today, it's being able to observe and perceive and understand what's actually going on in a way that isn't tainted by our biases and feelings. Now, that's not to say that our feelings aren't present. It's to say that they aren't they aren't to cause us to misperceive or misunderstand what is before us. Now, as we continue the verse, we get insight into a large reason why it's important that we are to be sober-minded and watchful. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's saying, hey, be sober-minded, be clear in the way that you think. 
Be watchful. Have your eyes open. Don't fall asleep. Don't be unaware of what is happening because there, the devil is prowling around like a lion and he is looking for someone to devour. The term devour means to eat, to destroy, to swallow. So fam, I got two main points for us today. Let's go ahead and get into the first one. The first main point, takeaway for us today, is that we should be aware of our enemy or be aware of your enemy. Be aware of your enemy. There's a, a show, I just watched the first episode of it on uh, Netflix not too long ago. Uh, it's a show called The Mole. And it's one of those reality competition uh, shows where, uh, you know, they, they take all these people from different places, different backgrounds. They put them, take them to some faraway land. They have all these obstacles and challenges and things that they need to get over. And depending on how well they do with the challenges, that increases the amount of money that the winner will get at the end. Right. So everyone's trying to do their best because they want to be the one that wins and they want to get the money pot at the end. Well, the reason that it's called the mole is because the producers of the show brought one person in that is secretly their goal, and they only win if they sabotage the rest of the group. Their whole goal is to deceive everyone into the group and sabotage all the missions so that whoever wins it gets the least amount of money possible. That's the, pur that's the purpose of the mole in the show. It's pretty intriguing because what you find is that everyone who is there is always trying to figure out who the mole is. Right? I mean, it's crazy. It's like somebody does something that seems really good and really trustworthy. That's what the mole would do. They're trying to gain our trust. That's what the mole, I know that person's the mole. Someone does something that might seem a little sneaky or underhanded. That's what the mole would do. That's where it's the mole. See, they sneaky, they the mole. And they, they live with this awareness. They live alert. The contestants on this show, the mole, they are a lot like us in this world. One of the differences between us, well, for them, they have no one that they can go to to find the truth that they desperately need. There's an enemy that is around them. Their aim is to deceive them, but they don't know what's the, what's the truth and what is a lie. And their enemy's way of fighting them is through sabotage and deception. Recently, when the show came to mind, I couldn't help but notice the similarities to, between this show and our experience in this life, specifically with the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion. I want you to know how Jesus talks about the devil specifically. John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You are of your father to the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He's talking to some of the religious leaders of their day. He said, He was a murderer from the beginning, and get this, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You need to know that the enemy's main tactic is deception. His main tactic is to distort the truth. He does much of his work through deceiving us. He knows that the degree to which he can deceive us is the degree to which he can manipulate us into falling and turning away from God and all that God has for us. This is why in the same chapter, verse 32, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's saying the enemy's primary goal is deception. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his first language, his native language. And the way we can be free from everything that he desires to do in our lives is to know the truth. The enemy's primary weapon is not brute strength. 
His weapon is deception. This is what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't overpower them and force them to eat the apple. He slipped them an idea that was contrary to what God had said to them, and he manipulated them into doing his bidding and his will. He caused them to believe something about God that wasn't true. And because of that, he was able to manipulate them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 gives us insight into how he's able to deceive us. Where it says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come at us with, the, with what we kind of know as the picture of the devil with the horns and the pitchfork, right? No, he comes disguising himself as an angel of light. He comes pretending to be someone that we can trust. Just like the show, the mole, the deceiver doesn't come at those he's against in a way that's easy to perceive that he's the enemy. No, he comes as a friend. The devil wears disguise and practices deception. He wears disguise and practices deception to try to sabotage you out of who God created you to be. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we can go back to what I said earlier from the scriptures, you need to be sober-minded and watchful. You can't just go throughout your life only focused on what's in front of you or only worrying about what makes you happy in the moment or only focused on your goals and your dreams and your ambitions and your preferences. You can't only be zoned in and zeroed in on those things. Why? Because you have an enemy that is prowling around like a roaring lion that is seeking to deceive you. We must be sober-minded. We must be watchful. You need to be intentionally walking out, watching out for the schemes of the enemy. This is where I found the show, The Mole, to be very insightful. Because the fact that, and I felt like that there was much that we could learn from the contestants on the show. Because the fact that they were aware that there was a deceiver in disguise among them, it caused them to be on high alert. It caused them to question the things that they heard day in and day out. It caused them to be aware. It caused them to always do their best to be sober-minded and watchful. In their interviews, they would say things like, well, this person might be the mole because they said this. Or he might be the mole because his team didn't do their part in this competition. Or she might be the mole because she was a bit too calm in this situation. Their awareness of a lurking deceiver had them on high alert always, trying to discern whether or not, and this is what we must practice if we are to be sober-minded and we are to be watchful. They were consistently asking, yeah, that sounds good, but is it true? Yeah, that sounds good, but is it true? They didn't just believe things because it sounded good or because it was what they wanted to hear. They were skeptical of what they were told. Christian, are you suspicious of the things you hear about life that sound good and pleasing or comforting? Are you suspicious of those things? Think about this. If the enemy is a deceiver, when he lies to us, of course, it will be things that sound good. It will be things that sound comfortable. It will be things that sound pleasing to us. It's easy to be suspicious of people that tell us things that we don't like to hear. We're not asking about that today. That's not what we're discussing. I want to know if you're prepared for the times when the enemy comes at you as an angel of light. Are you on high alert when it comes to your thought life? Are you committed to the sometimes tiring work 
of analyzing whether or not your thoughts are in line with God and his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, the apostle Paul gives us insight into this battle that we have. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. It's a big statement. But have divine power to destroy strongholds. He's saying that in this battle, our weapons are not material. Our weapons are not physical. He's saying that our weapons have power from God to destroy strongholds. Now, at this time, this term stronghold would be a place that's fortified in a battle. A protected area that can't be easily attacked or taken down by opposition. So the apostle is acknowledging that the enemy oftentimes has strongholds in our lives. He's saying there are areas in our lives that that the enemy has fortified in some way that are difficult for us to be able to break down or get through. That's a part of his acknowledgement in this scripture. That the enemy does have strongholds in our lives. And we have difficulty warring against them, but we have weapons that have power from God to destroy even the strongholds that the enemy has. This is actually a victorious passage that I'm reading from. Because he's saying, even though the enemy has strongholds, this most fortified places and areas in your spiritual life, he's saying you have weapons empowered by God himself to be able to not just defeat them, but destroy them, is what he's saying. If you're a believer, you need to know you have weapons able to destroy spiritual strongholds that we often struggle with. And then in verse 5, he gives us insight into what those strongholds are and how to destroy them. Check out the beginning of the verse where he says what we are to destroy. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That word for argument there, beginning of verse five, it means reasoning. It means thought. It means judgment. It means decision. He's saying we destroy reasonings and thoughts and judgments and decisions and lofty opinions raised up against the knowledge of God. They're in opposition to God and his truth. He's saying that the enemy's strongholds, the way that he gets us stuck in sin and not following God as we were created to do, are essentially rooted in beliefs and thoughts that go against the knowledge of God. He's saying any stronghold that is in your life, whether it's sin, whether it's just an inability to trust God or believe God or follow him, is rooted in a belief, rooted in some type of thought, some type of decision or reasoning that we have adopted that goes against the knowledge of God. And the way to destroy these strongholds in our lives is to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Meaning the first, I would say to use the language that we've already used today, be sober-minded and watchful over your thought life, noticing anything that doesn't line up with God's word, anything that is in opposition to the knowledge of God, and then also redirecting our thoughts to line up with God's word. Again, redirecting our thoughts to line up with God's word. And let me tell you something. If you do not take your thoughts captive to obey Christ, your thoughts will take you captive to obey the devil. If you do not take your thoughts captive and cause them to obey Christ, your thoughts will take you captive and make you obey the devil. That sin in your life, the lust, the greed, the jealousy, the pride and self-righteousness, the arrogance, the unforgiveness, the stinginess, 
the refusal to be reconciled with that brother or sister that God calls you to reconcile with, whatever the sin is that you are not warring against, somewhere in you, you think that is good. Somewhere in you, you have been deceived into believing that it is worthy of accepting that whatever temporary or fleeting pleasure or satisfaction or ease or comfort that it gives you, you have began to believe that that is actually better than the life God has designed for you to live. That's a lie that you have believed that the enemy has given you. It is a thought. It is an argument. It is a lofty opinion that has set itself up against the knowledge of God. And you're thinking you're just doing what feels right in the moment. And the enemy is plotting against you as he prowls like a roaring lion and his plan is to devour you. He's aiming to lead you away from God and destroy everything that God is wanting to do in you and through your life. So many of us before, myself included, have been in places spiritually before where you're like, how did I get here? How is this where I am? How is it that I'm consistently doing this thing that I thought I would not do anymore? And in part, you got there, I got there because you weren't sober-minded. We weren't sober-minded and watchful, and the enemy used deception and disguise to take advantage of that and lead us away from God. We were deceived, we were manipulated by the lies of the enemy. See, part of the drama of the show, The Mole, is that they don't have anywhere they can go to figure out the truth. They don't find out to the last episode. I haven't gotten to the last episode, but if I'm understanding it correctly, what happens at the very end is you have The Mole and then one last person at the end because The Mole never gets voted off. And up until then, you, they have no idea who to trust, no idea who to believe. There's nothing they can cling to. There's no source of truth that they can hold on to to help them in this situation. Praise God, that is not true of us. Praise God, that is not the case for us. And we'll get into why that's not the case for us in point number two. Point number two is resist the enemy. Resist the enemy. That's what verse 9 tells us. It says, resist him. Resist him. Two words. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Previously, he said, be sober-minded, be watchful. He's letting us know that hey, the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And your role, based on this command, is to resist him. That term resist, it means to stand against. It means to oppose it means to withstand. When you notice that you have thoughts that are against God's word, resist him. When you begin to think that you're unacceptable to God because of your sin, resist the lies of the enemy. When you begin to feel hopeless in your fighting against sin, resist against the lies of the enemy. When you begin to believe that it won't hurt if you just do it this one time, when you begin to believe that it's not worth it for you to make time to read your Bible, when you begin to notice that you don't think that prayer is a good use of time in your life, resist the lies of the enemy. Resist him, stand against him, oppose him. Don't let these thoughts just run freely in your mind. Resist them, cast them down through the power of God. You need to know that you are not simply a victim of your thoughts. And you need to know that by the power of God in you, they don't get to just run around freely in your mind. 
You can meet those thoughts from the devil with resistance. I wanted to clearly make this point. I heard a pastor say this years ago. I mean, we probably 15 years ago, I heard him say this. He said, the thought life is the place where sin is most tolerated in the life of the Christian. He said, the thought life is the place where sin is most tolerated in the life of the Christian, which is very concerning, which is very worrisome, because again, the way that the enemy primarily attacks us is through false beliefs. He enters through our mind. He wages war with us by getting us to believe and think on things that are not true or that are half-truths and partial truths that still lead us away from God. But here the apostle instructs the church to resist the enemy who primarily attacks us through our thoughts. And he tells us to do it firm in our faith. Firm in our faith. I'm going to do something. I don't know if I've done this before. I'm going to try to give an example. Jamal told me he'd be my volunteer. Jamal, can you come up? He has no idea what I'm about to do, by the way. He has absolutely no, no clue what I'm about to do. But if you know Jamal, that's the type of thing he's going to sign up for 100%. That's the type of thing he's going to sign up for. <laughs> it's better this way. So I'm, I'm going to step down. Can you, can you make sure you go to the wide shot on the camera? Thank you. So here's what we're going to do. So I want, you, I want you to stand right here in front of me. So I'm going to begin by pushing you. I don't want you to resist. Just let me move you, and there'll be a time when you get to resist a little okay. bit later. And I want, this, I, want, I want to give a demonstration of what I believe we often do with our thought lives when we give no resistance. So our thought life is telling us, hey, do whatever you want to do. It feels good. It feels great. No, come back this way. Actually, change your mind about that. Do it this way. This is different. Go, no, go this way. Come this way. Keep going this way. Don't follow God in this area in your life. Come this way. Come back this way. Don't follow God in this area in your life. Walk this way. Walk this way. Now, come back this way. Okay. Come back this way. All right, now, 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 now. I want to give an example, and I think this is important. Face me. All right, I'm going to push you. Now, resist. That's, resist as in don't let me push you. Okay. Resist. All right, now, now, here's the thing. When, when he began to resist me, did you, did you notice the first thing that he did? His, this foot went back. The first time, there's two things I want to point out about resistance based on what you're about. He had no idea what I was about to tell him to do. The first thing about his resistance is he had to take a step. It was his decision. He had to act that he had to play. He had to put his foot back to anchor. But there was something that I need for all of us to understand when it comes to resistance. I need you to stand right here for a second. It's going to be awkward for you and great for them. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that you need to know. When he put his foot down, the only reason he was actually able to resist me is because the thing that he put his foot on was not only strong enough to hold his weight, but the thing that he put his foot on was able to hold my weight as well. And if any time that we are going to resist against anything, it's not just our action, but whatever we put our foot on, whatever our foundation is on, has to be solid enough to withhold your own weight and the weight of whatever is coming against you. You can have your seat. But the point, the primary point that I want to make is that I love love. I love that Peter didn't just say, hey, resist him. You're strong enough. Believe in yourself. I'm believing in you. You can do it. That's not what Peter says. Peter says, resist him firm in the faith. Firm in the faith. What is he saying? He's saying that your faith in God is strong enough not only to support you, but to support you as you resist against what the enemy is looking to do in your life. It is stronger than you are, and it is stronger than the enemy that is fighting against you. Is what Peter is telling us. When we resist, yes, there is an action, there is a step that we need to take, but first of all, our, our faith must be secure and firm and knowing that the thing that is holding us up is even stronger than we are. 
If he would have put his foot down and that floor wouldn't have been stronger than him, it wouldn't have mattered. If we are going to resist, if we're going to stand against the foundation needs to be solid. He says, resist firm in your faith. I want to make sure I understand or we understand what the term faith actually means. Because I see Christians post stuff on Instagram sometimes about faith. And I'm like, we don't, we don't really understand what faith is. I saw a Christian post something to the effect of one time. This is not a direct quote. They said, well, of course it doesn't make sense. That's why it's faith. They said if it, was, if, if it, if it made sense, then it wouldn't have to be faith. So here's what that person is, is ultimately saying, that in order for it to be faith, it has to be something that doesn't make sense. That's not actually what faith is. Faith is not opposed to, to reason and rational thought. Or, or, or it's not that if reason and rational thought is there, then it can't be faith. No, the thing that the Bible paints uh, as, as in opposition, or not opposition to faith, but, but that can't be present in order for there to be faith is actually sight, not reason. So let me, let me give an example. Second Corinthians chapter five says, chapter five verse seven says, "For we walk by faith, not by sight." Hebrews eleven chapter one says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not what seen." So faith is not opposed to reason, but in order for faith to be faith, it has to be in something that we don't see with our physical eyes. For example, if you told if you told somebody you have faith in them. What you're saying is that you believe that they will behave in the way that they're supposed to behave even when they're not with you, even when they're not around you. That's what it means to have faith in someone, that you trust them to do who they're, what they're supposed to do, be the person that they're supposed to be, even when you can't see them, even when you're not around them. Otherwise, you don't truly have faith in them. So what the apostle is telling us here, when he's, telling, when he's calling the people of God to resist him firm in the faith, he's saying that the firm foundation of the true things that we know about God, even when we cannot see them, are strong enough to be the foundation that we need to resist against the enemy. That those things that we find in the word of God, they are strong enough. They are a firm enough foundation to allow us to resist them. So as Christians, we should trust in the solid truth that even though we have not seen it with our spiritual, with our physical eyes, we trust in the solid truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, even though we didn't see it with our own eyes. We trust in the solid truth that he didn't stay dead, but he got up out of the grave and the tomb was empty three days later. We trust in the solid truth that we are now adopted into his family and we're not sons and daughters of God. We trust in the truth that we don't have to try to earn his love because there's nothing we can do to make him love us more than he already does. We trust in the truth that as his children, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We trust in the truth that we stand pure and blameless before him because we are in Christ. Peter is saying that these, truth, these truths and so many others that we find in the scriptures are solid ground to stand on so that we can firmly resist against the lies of the enemy. And family, by God's grace, he has blessed you. He has blessed me. He has blessed us with many things that we can do to resist against the lies of the enemy, standing firm in our faith. And to make sure we, we think well about what we can do, there's, there's just one more thing I want to unpack about uh, verse 8 and verse 9 together again. He says, your adversary, I'm coming back to that word, that, that, that word is important. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. That word your is a plural form of the word your. It's you all to a degree is what he's saying. You all 
Your adversary, y'all's adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's saying that the adversary is not just, is not just an adversary to the individual, but to the collective, which implies that the resistance is not merely individual, but it's also collective. Meaning when we think about resisting the devil, we need to think about doing it individually and communally, privately and corporately. And as a Christian, individually, you need to spend time meditating on God's word. Yes, you've heard this a thousand times. You need to hear hear it a thousand more times. Spending time reading, considering, reflecting on, talking to God about God's word is an irreplaceable part of the Christian life. And you won't be able to stand firm against the devil if you aren't meditating on the word of God. You have to understand, you you are getting thoughts and ideas. Your mind is getting bombarded with thoughts and ideas from so many different people that that truly believe what they are saying, or maybe they're intentionally trying to deceive you. You are being inundated with thoughts, many that don't line up with God's word. You need to continually be refreshing your mind with truth from God's word that you won't be, so that you won't be led astray by the things that you are told. As a Christian, we must be spending time meditating on God's word that we might counter those false thoughts and ideas with a steady diet of the word of God. And as a Christian, individually, you need to be praying for your own faith. Pray for God to grow you in your faith. Pray for God to strengthen your faith that you might stand firm in the faith against the devil and all of his schemes. We need to resist him individually. We also need to resist him communally. As a Christian, the fact that we have an enemy is one of the reasons it's important that you are in fellowship with other believers who can encourage you in the Lord. You need this in your life. You need this in your life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 3, I'll read 12 and 13. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here's one of the solutions, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying one of the things that helps you, that keeps you from having your heart hardened against God because of the deceitfulness of sin, because of how how prone we are to be tricked and deceived by sin is having other Christians in your life that can encourage you, that can exhort you in the Lord. This is important for you as a Christian. The author of Hebrews is showing us that this is one of the protections against being devoured by the lies and deception of the enemy. If we want to be able to resist against the enemy firm in our faith so that he does not effectively lead us away from God, we need to be intentional about being in meaningful relationships with believers that encourage us in our faith. You were not meant to be in this life trying to stand firm in your faith alone. We are meant to stand firm together. He's talking to them as a collective. He's calling them to stand firm in their faith together, united as one in Christ. This is what he is calling them to. Man, I hope in our life groups, in the group chat, group chat over the phone, in our life group meetings that we are encouraging each other with scripture. There are a lot of things that are important that we are to do together as Christians. And my hope is that we don't consistently drop the ball in looking to encourage each other with the word of God. My hope is that as a result of us spending time in God's word individually, 
We will be able to recall what we've seen in God's word and encourage each other with the truths that have been encouraging us. And thus we stand firm together. Because when we do that, your individual time in God's word goes to serve the church, serve the collective, serve the body of Christ. And enables us, enables not only you to stand firm, but us to stand firm against the deceits of the enemy together. Another thing that obviously I believe is important for us as Christians to do to help us stand firm is to be sacrificially consistent in participating in Sunday worship services. It's to be sacrificially consistent in participating in Sunday worship service. Family, researchers have been, have been talking about this for years, and I feel like they've been seeing it even more in the last couple years. Researchers have been talking a lot about how church attendance has been declining a lot in churches all across our country and how attendance is very low even now. And I believe that for some of us, part of the reason that our attendance has decreased is because we have lost sight of the fact that we have a real enemy. We have stopped being sober-minded. We have stopped being watchful. And we have lost sight of the fact that we have a real enemy that we need to be fighting to resist every single day, individually and collectively and communally and corporately together. We've lost sight of the fact, and here's the thing, I think this is a very big misconception that many of us have, that we feel like if we come to a worship service and we didn't learn something new or we didn't feel something, that we didn't feel like we're growing more, that it, that it was obsolete, that it had no purpose in our life, even though we're being reminded of the truths of Scripture over and over and over again, even though we're celebrating the goodness of God together as Christians, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that if you didn't feel something or if you didn't learn something new, then there's no point, then there's no purpose. No, we are, we, are, we are rehearsing and repeating over ourselves over and over again the truth that we need to continue to remember that the enemy is seeking to attack day after day after day. Seven days a week, he is seeking to deceive you and lead you away from the truth of God's word. Coming together once a week as a rhythm consistently and saying we're going to hear the same truths over and over again so that we can stand firm on them. In the time of temptation, in the time when the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light, we can say, no, 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 I know what the truth is. I can't be deceived by this because I know what the truth is. My encouragement to us is that we will come to our worship services consistently. And don't, don't, don't hear me trying to call anybody out on this or, or be overly heavy handed with this. But I also believe it's a blessing to be able to come to a worship service early. And here's why. Because I, I've experienced this before. I come in and there's a many things on my mind. And if I get there after things have already started, it takes me a minute just to get my mind in the right place, just to get my heart in the right place, just to get my mind off the fact that I was just rushing, trying to get here very quickly and get my mind to, okay, I'm focusing on God now and his goodness. I want to encourage us. Let's take advantage of the time we have together. As we seek to stand firm against the deceptions of the enemy together, I believe it's beneficial to be consistent. I believe it's beneficial to be early. I believe it's, benefic it's beneficial to come eagerly as well. Eager to be reminded of the truth that will help us stand firm in our faith against the enemy. Against this enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, a lion is a, it's an extremely powerful animal that is very capable of devouring its prey. And this verse says he prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. 
Christian, as I close today, I want to make sure you know that though we may allow him from time to time to deceive us and lead us astray for a period of time, when it's all said and done, he cannot ultimately devour you. Though there are times, again, that we led astray, that we fall into sin, that we are deceived because we are naive and we don't understand, he cannot ultimately devour you when it's all said and done. Yes, he can prowl around like a roaring lion. Yes, he can seek someone to devour. Yes, he can deceive. Yes, he can disguise himself. But there is one thing he cannot do if you are in Christ, and that is conquer. He cannot conquer you. He will suffer defeat in the end. Why? Because though he prowls like a roaring lion, the Bible tells us that there is a true lion in Revelation chapter 5. They call him the Lion of Judah. And he is the one that you have put your faith in. That is the foundation that is stronger than you and stronger than any lie that the devil is telling you. And you can stand firm on him and resist the devil. And he is the reason that the devil will be defeated. He's the reason that you will walk in victory over the devil. He is the reason that every plan and every scheme that the enemy has against you will be thwarted on one day. He is the reason that every lie that he ever told you will be shown to be false. Jesus is the reason that you will be shown to be more than a conqueror. And on that day, and on that day, everyone will see the devil that wears disguise and practices deceit will also suffer defeat at the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage the saints today, no matter how difficult things are for you now, no matter how much sin you've allowed the devil to lead you into, there's coming a day when you'll say goodbye one last time to all of the sin that you have yielded yourself to because the Lion of Judah is coming back and he ain't using deception, he ain't using smoking mirrors, he ain't using disguise, he's coming back with a sword and he's defeating all of his enemies including death and sin and the grave and we will be with him to reign forever. Because though the enemy prowls like a roaring lion, he will not conquer. He can roar, he can deceive, his, his, his magic act, his tricks, his deception will last for a little while, but one day we'll all be shown for what it is. It's just deception, it's just a disguise. He too will bow his knee to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is his end and that is where we find our hope. Family, pray with me.